This podcast is being brought to you by WXAV.com. WXAV, bringing the best artists to you. So let me begin. Your collaboration with Les Claypool uh, began when your band, The Ghost of a Sabertooth Tiger, toured with Primus about a year ago. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, how that tour helped foster this new project, uh, The Claypool London Delirium? Yeah, well, my band, The Ghost, we were just really psyched to get to tour with Primus. We were all big fans. And uh, once we got on the road, I think we all realized that we were kind of cut from a similar cloth. We had a lot of the same taste and humor and and uh, outlook and temperament probably as well. We're kind of mellow people. So, uh, yeah, we started hanging and jamming a little bit and, you know, just backstage with acoustics and stuff. And eventually I wound up sitting in on a song called Southbound Packeter during the Primus set, which was really fun. Uh, that's actually probably one of my favorite Primus songs. And... Uh, I think it went well, so, you know, I think less after that he thought maybe we should try recording something, and the rest is history. We have it. It's just been released earlier this month. It's called The Monolith of Phobos. Uh, Phobos, yeah. Phobos, excuse me. It's a really great record. It's super old-school psychedelic prog rock. It's It just has a great sound to it. And I was wondering, was it really difficult for you and Les when you were jamming to kind of find that sound, or did it just kind of come organically? It certainly was organic. I mean, as I said, we kind of, once we started hanging out, I think we realized that we had a lot of the same interests and tastes. So, you know, we started fiddling around, and everything happened pretty naturally. There's some great tracks on there. Uh, you have Oxycontin Girl, Boomerang Baby, and my two favorites, uh, The Cricket and the Genie Movements. Uh, can you talk uh, a little bit about what inspired The Cricket and the Genie Movements? Well, I mean, I, I, I was just, we'd been, you know, we'd been reading articles and stuff about how the, how the big pharmacy companies were kind of pushing, you know, Oxy and pushing all these antidepressants and and how, uh, you know, what the consequences of that are. And I don't know, I'd been thinking about how kids were, like, so overly medicated in this country, you know, like, boys have, like, a trouble, you know, sitting still, and then they put them on Ritalin or whatever, and a lot of people are unnecessarily kind of drugged, it seems. <clears throat> and But, you know, the industry seems kind of nefarious <clears throat> in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously there are good things about medicine and Western medicine, but there's this kind of darkness to like the these pharmaceutical overlords kind of having a legal monopoly on pushing these certain kinds of drugs, and it just seems like there's this weird uh, a false dichotomy or thing. So I don't know. So that was kind of where the subject matter came from. The idea of like this little kid, you know, rubbing his pharmacy bottle and a genie comes out was kind of appealing to me because it, you know, it kind of was like a metaphor for what really happens in a way. It's like a false comfort you know all these medicines yeah and i'm not like strictly i'm not like tom cruise i'm not like against medicine in general but it seems like people are overly medicated at least in this country compared to like europe for instance you know and you really get that imaging i mean with with the lyrics that you and Lust come up with you guys really paint a a, a picture of of uh the dark side of of pharmaceuticals and over medication you mentioned in your interview, you and Les recently got interviewed by Rolling Stone about this project, and you guys talked a little bit about how the Monkeys movie, Head, from the late 60s, 
kind of really inspired you and a little bit inspired this project. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what's the, what this movie of, of Head, you know, speaks to you? How does it uh, inspire you? I don't know. I mean, I'd actually never seen Head. Uh, Les showed it to me, and he was like, man, you got to see Head. So we sat down. I was just blown away that Jack Nicholson wrote it because I didn't realize that that's what he was doing before Easy Rider. I mean, so the whole thing was kind of fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, as a primary source of inspiration, I don't know that I can honestly say that it is. I do love the the Porpoise song, though. I mean, and I and I have listened to that song, you know, quite a bit, and I do think it's great. Um, and I, in fact, I think that whole album is pretty great. Uh, a lot of the songs, like the Harry Nielsen song, is really good. But as a film, I'm not really an aficionado, to be honest. I saw it once. Les was like, you got to see this. And I think it did inspire us in as much as, you know, we kind of had a fun night and then we went and wrote some songs. But, I, I, you know, I wouldn't say that it's like a a, a, a blueprint for anything that I'm thinking. Uh, um, but it definitely is a funny movie. <laughs> Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's super trippy out there, and yeah, I'm with you. When I found out that Jack Nicholson wrote it, uh, just it, it blew my mind. Um, the Porpoise song is the one that I play for people, you know, if I'm like DJing or something, where they're just like, "What is this? This is the coolest like lost '60s track," and I'm like, "It's the Monkees," and people are always like, "No way!" Like, you know, a lot of people don't think of the Monkees as having a super cool, vibey track, but that one is super vibey. It's like up there with some of the vibiest psych tracks, you know? What's one thing you want listeners to take away when they finish listening to this record? Take away their clothing? I don't know. <laughs> I don't really have any, like, rule, you know, feelings about that. Yeah. I'm just happy if people are digging it, you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. At the very best, I think it would make people maybe think a little bit about how f- weird the world is. But, you know, that would be... If they don't get that, then it's fine, too. I'm just happy if people check it out. We're a college radio station. What do you think is some of the roles that college radio plays in the larger musical landscape, if you will? Well, I, you know, I've, I've actually had a pretty good relationship with college, college radio from when I was young. Like, the first record I did was called Into the Sun on, this, on the Grand Royal label, by, uh, which was the BC Boys label. And I actually think I had, like, a... It was like number one on the college charts for a while, like when it came out, which, you know, is probably the only one, number one I ever had and ever will have. So, you know, for me, like it's been a sort of foundation of my whole career has been like the college scene because that's where people, first of all, programmers have a little more freedom because it's, you know, it's school. So they're kind of in control of their stations. And then, you know, the listeners tend to have more alternative tastes or be more open to different things and there's not a sort of corporate uh the the corporations haven't infiltrated and like you know told every dj every millisecond of what they're supposed to say and which kinds of things they're supposed to ask so it's kind of you know to me it's like the 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 beating heart of american alternative you know music culture in a way and it's important you know i'm glad it still exists and and to kind of piggyback off of that um with the current state of affairs with the economics of of the world right now a lot of universities are selling off their college radio stations to get some money do you have any words of encouragement or inspirations to any djs that may be affected by this at all man it's rough isn't it i don't know i mean they better not be selling off the college stations and 
that, that I feel like it's you know that's like the final frontier of like real people versus the robot corporations. You know, I don't I don't know. I mean, if they really are doing that, I'm I'm, I'm I'd be very sad. And uh, you know, I guess if I was a DJ and I wanted to continue doing that, uh, uh, you know, in terms of like radio stuff, I, I would. I would just start my own station online or something, you know. At least there's opportunities to, like, stream your shows yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. You could do, like, a, some, I'm, you know, there's at least online opportunities now. Whereas in the past, you were either FM or AM or or uh, pirate radio. But at least now, you know, there's there's ways of getting your shows out globally where people can just listen online, like, all over the world. It's kind of cool. Like I get to listen to, you know, I get to listen to college radio or, you know, or BBC radio or NPR, like anywhere in the world. If you just get online, it's amazing. Now you're, you're currently on tour with the Claypool Lennon Delirium and, um, will you be playing Chicago anytime soon? Yeah, I think we are, but not, not till fall basically. Okay. Awesome. And a uh, final question I have for you, and that is, um, will we be hearing any new music from the ghost of Sabretooth Tiger anytime soon? I'm hoping you will. We're definitely planning on it, but we don't know exactly when, but we, we're definitely going to make another record. Uh, Charlotte's just working on something of her project, and I started doing this. So we're kind of taking a little hiatus, but yeah, we're definitely making a record. Awesome. Well, Sean Lennon, thank you so much for uh, for joining me today. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this WXAV.com podcast. Check out WXAV.com for future podcasts. WXAV, the escape from ordinary radio.